on another note, those of you who were subject to the video this morning of the pastors, please know that there'll not be a sequel to that performance. Pastor Chris was already talking about Academy Awards and Emmy Awards, but if anyone was to give me the best advice, it would be to keep my day job, and that's what I'm going to do. Praise the Lord. Let's get into the Word this morning, shall we? When a person works an eight-hour day, 40-hour week, and receives a fair fair week's pay for for their time, that is a wage. When a person competes against an opponent and receives a trophy, that is an award, a prize. And when a person receives recognition for their long service and, and high achievement, that is an award. But if when a person cannot... Uh, earn a wage, if they're not capable of earning a wage, if they're not able to win a prize, if they can't even earn or deserve an award, yet still receive such a gift, that, my friends, is a good picture of God's amazing grace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to talk to you about how amazing God's grace really is and how we're called to live by grace. Now, we all know that we're all called to live by faith, but we're also called to live by His grace. Amen? Amen. But before we get into all that, let me just first begin by talking to you about what is grace. Now, I know that many of you know the principles of grace, and those of you who are watching, I know that you all, some of you know that. But I can't stand here and assume that everyone knows the principles or the essence of grace other than what we say at the dinner table. So let's begin with a very familiar verse of Scripture. If you'll go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading from verse 7. And Paul says this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the basic definition of the biblical term grace is God's unmerited favor poured on or poured out on the undeserving. You could also say that grace is the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness. A supply that is without limit, a supply that is never-ending. And we'll talk about that a little later. But grace is is God doing for us what we don't deserve, what we cannot earn, and what we can never repay. Amen? Something else that we need to know about grace, and that grace is a gift from God. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that none of yourselves, it is what? A gift of God. We know that salvation is a gift that was provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the basis for our salvation is grace. It is a gift. 
And certainly not a cheap gift by any means because it costs God everything. Grace is the most expensive gift that anyone could ever receive because of what it costs. The grace that saves us is God's undeserved goodness and favor. And it is a gift that, that is received not by any worse or anything that we could ever deserve. But it's simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. And I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation. Where it says this. We are made right with God. How? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And look at us what it says. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So the source of our salvation is God's grace because it is a gift of God. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> Paul says, I thank my God. Always for always concerning you for, for the grace of, of, let me read that again. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So here we have a grace that is a gift that was given to us. So when someone gives us a gift, our response is, oh, that's nice. How much do I owe you? No, the proper response is, Thank you. Because it was a gift that was given to us. And even though we don't deserve it, and even though we, 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 don't, uh, we don't have to, we, there's nothing we can do to earn it, it's a gift. If we have to pay for the gift, if we have to work for it, then it's not really grace at all. Suppose three men, all excellent swimmers, decided to swim to Hawaii. Now, one of them may swim farther than the other two, but all three will end up being dead because Hawaii is just too far. God is just too high. He's just too holy. He's just too righteous for us. Even on our best days, our best week, our best years, to make ourselves acceptable to him by our own merits or by our own effort. It's solely by God's grace and grace alone that we are saved. If we have to work for our salvation, if we have to work for our justification or our sanctification, then it completely nullifies God's grace. And Christ died for nothing. If God was to decide to condemn the whole world, including us, and throw us all in the lake of fire for all eternity... God would be within his rights. He would be justified in his actions because the scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even if, we have, if it was somebody like Abraham who would step and intervene and step in and pray and intercede to God saying, Lord, if there be 10 righteous people in the world, will you spare the world? And God still won't do it because the Bible says that there's none righteous, not even one. The scripture tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But it was God who intervened by his grace. The scripture says that we were slaves to sin. But it was God's grace that intervened. The scripture also tells us that we were all subject to God's wrath. 
But it was God's grace who intervened. We were a complete mess and our condition was hopeless, but it was God's grace that intervened. Glory to God. And what makes grace so amazing, even though we cannot earn it, and even though we don't deserve it, is the fact that the gift was given to us absolutely free. And we all know what free means, right? It costs us nothing. There's no strings attached. And that, my friends, is the whole essence of grace. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, which we just read to you in verse 8, where Paul says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that none of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's what we call saving grace. And we see an example of saving grace in Paul's life. So if you go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's look at verse 12. Paul's letter to Timothy, and he writes this, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, if you studied Paul's life and ministry, you'll find that Paul was very successful, and he accomplished great things for the things of God. The lives that he changed and impacted the thousands of lives that he led to the Lord, the many churches that he established throughout the ancient world. He had such an impact in that world that he turned that world upside down. What Paul did was he gave birth to the greatest church movement in the history of the world. But then Paul says this in verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man or a violent aggressor, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. We're still talking about the same Apostle Paul who was called into the ministry, but his former life was a mess. He was considered an evil man, an evil person, but yet he was called into the ministry. And here's why. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So Paul reminds Timothy about how he once was a persecutor, a blasphemer, and just a complete evil person. But then he goes on and tells us that it was God's grace towards him that was exceedingly more abundant than the evil person that he was. And more abundant than all the evil that he had committed in his former life. Grace is able to accept any person who comes to Christ and who repents of their sins, no matter who they are, and no matter what they've done. Now look at verse 15. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he says, I am the worst of them all. Now, there may be some of you here this morning, that might make the same claim about your own former life, or maybe even your current life. But in spite of what kind of people we used to be, and I'll say that again, what we used to be, no matter how unworthy we were, no matter how undeserving we are, His amazing grace and mercy to even the worst of sinners made us living examples. Hallelujah. And Paul was one of God's example of grace. Look at what he says in verse 16. 
But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could, watch this, use me as a prime example of his great patience, which is a product of his grace, with even the worst sinners. And then he says, then others will realize they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So what Paul was simply saying is this. God was, wanted to demonstrate through Paul that the grace that he demonstrated in Paul's life was exceedingly more abundant to save him. And if God's grace is exceedingly abundant enough to save him, then God's grace is exceedingly abundant enough to save us. Amen. There was this friend, I shared this story before a couple of times, but I, I really need to share this again because of the impact of God's grace in a person's life. But there was a friend of mine that I used to hang out with. There were two of them. And every time we got together, we, uh, one of us would, would bring up the subject about God. And so as they were talking about God, and I was always open to it because I had a little church in me, so I knew something about God, not much, but, but I had a certain respect for God. But I had this other friend who was also in that group who didn't want nothing to do with God. Matter of fact, he didn't want to have any conversations about God. About God. So every time we would bring up the subject, he would say something to mock it or to make fun of it. One time he pointed to his kitchen in his kitchen and he said, that's my God. Of course, he was pointing to a plant of marijuana plants that he was growing. And so we're all there conversing. And I mean, not that we knew what we were talking about because we're all stoned out of our minds anyway. So I had no idea what I was saying. But I do remember the fact that he said, this is my God, which was the marijuana plants. A year later, I run into him. And the person that I ran into was not the same person I knew a year ago. Even when he spoke, I knew that this was not the same person I knew. The words that were coming out of his mouth were words like Jesus, God, Bible, church. That would never have come out of his mouth about a year ago. Now, looking back then, what I didn't realize was I was actually witnessing a demonstration of God's grace in my friend's life. And it had such an impact in my life and I remember how I walked away feeling like, Lord, if you can do that for him, I know you can do that for me. Amen. And it just opened up the doors for God to begin to start working in my life. We are all a demonstration and product of God's grace. And we are to become living witnesses to all that we come in contact with. How many people have had this experience where they've seen you after a while, after not seeing you for a while, and then run into you and say, you're not the same person I used to know. Why is that? Because they're demonstrating God's grace in your life. God, I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited about this. This is God's unmerited favor poured out on the undeserving. In Romans 5.20, Paul says that where sin abounds or where sin has increased and abound even more, God's grace increased even more and abounded. I like what Moffat's translation said. It says that when sin is versus grace, grace always wins hands down. So it doesn't matter how bad you think you were, God's grace is more abundant than all the evil that you could have done in your life. That's the wonderful, amazing grace. Hallelujah. So it doesn't matter what kind of a bad person you were. 
or still are, God's grace is far greater than that. And Paul's life was a living example and a demonstration of this wonderful, amazing grace. Hallelujah. Now, when we think about grace, we always, almost always think about saving grace. We know that Ephesians, that's why Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 is so familiar to so many of us. Because it's so common, because we think about salvation. But the Bible also tells us that we're not only saved by grace, but we are also to live by grace every day of our lives. Go with me to Romans chapter 6 and look at verse 14. Because understand this, the grace of God is not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience. It doesn't begin at salvation and ends there. No, it continues. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but what? Under grace. The term under grace means living under the umbrella of God's goodness and favor. When you, when you go to bed at night, you're under the umbrella of God's grace. When you wake up in the morning, you're under the umbrella of God's grace. Even as we sleep throughout the night, God's umbrella of grace is still over us. So because we live under the grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. It also means being under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, which is also part of God's grace. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But look at Romans chapter 5 and look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now let me read that to you from the Amplified Version, that last part of that verse in verse 2. Paul says, for we have our access, that is our entrance or introduction by faith into this life of grace or the state of God's favor. Now go to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verse 16. Paul says that through Christ we have been given access and availability to this life of grace. Now verse 15 says that we, have, that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities or cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Then he goes on in verse 16, because we do have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses and with our struggles, he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace or this life of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, Jesus has left the door wide open for us to to enter into this ongoing life of grace. Hallelujah. But notice how grace has been made available to help us throughout our lives. And again, this is not a one-time experience. Now, the Greek word for the word help, which is an interesting word, it's the word boethia. And it's only found in two places in the Bible. Here in Hebrews 4.16 and also in Acts 27 and verse 17. Now, we know that the Greek language is a very descriptive language. So when we say the word boethia, which is translated into the English word help, the literal translation of that word is supporting cable. Now, there's a term that is, that is used by seamen or sailors called frapping the boat. 
And what that is, is that whenever a boat is in danger of sinking, the sailors or the crewmen would wrap rope or chain or a supporting cable around the hull of the boat in order to keep it from breaking apart and from sinking. So, and this is what we see here, and that's the term that's being used here. So, when we look at this, we see an example of that in Acts 27, in verse 17, and you don't need to turn there, where the Apostle Paul was a prisoner on a ship heading towards Rome. And then the ship ran into a very heavy storm. And so, the Bible says that the ship was in danger of seeking, sinking. So in verse 17, the Bible said that the sailors bound ropes or tied ropes or supporting cable around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. The writer in Hebrews 4.16 also uses the same term in order to express something important about the grace of God. And the grace of God is like a supporting cable to hold us together, keep us from falling apart, and keep us from sinking Whenever we find ourselves in the storms of life. Grace doesn't necessarily take us out of the storm. But what it does do, it it wraps us up. It strengthens up. It it keeps us held together. It keeps us from falling apart. And keep us from sinking. And... We have that on a daily basis. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, where we may obtain mercy and find help or supporting cable to keep us together and keep us from falling apart and keep us from sinking. This life of grace is always available to us to support us, to help us, and to keep us together. Hallelujah. God's grace also has transformational power. Now, there was a statement here that was made by Pastor Chris a while back. I don't remember exactly when you said it, but it was a very powerful uh, statement that he made that I wrote it down. And I wrote it down, and I, and I took the liberty of using it because I know that you don't have any copyrights on that statement. <laughs> And, you know, by chance, if you don't agree with the statement or if if you get offended by the statement, um, just remember it was Pastor Chris that said it. (laughs) But this is what he says. Grace is is what some would call a transformational power, not a crutch for life, that God has designed for us to get through this life. I'll say that again because it's such a powerful statement. Do you remember that statement that you made, Pastor Chris? <laughs> okay. Sometimes we say things and we don't remember what we said. But I remember writing it down. It says, grace is what some would call a transformational power, not a crutch for life, that God has designed for us to get through this life. When we see in Paul, we see the same example in Paul's life in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. We know that he was saved by grace But we can also see that he was also transformed by grace. The Bible tells us that Paul was blasphemed and was a persecutor and was an insolent man, uh, an aggressive man. Even calling himself the worst of all sinners. But let's take another glimpse of Paul's life before his transformation. Go quickly to Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 3. 
But Saul began to destroy the church. Saul is Paul, before he changed his name to Paul, going from house to house, and he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Acts 9 and verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Let me stop there. In Acts 22 and verse 4. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting men, both men and women, and throwing them into prison. Now, this was just a highlight of Paul's former life. That was what Paul used to be until God caught up with him and extended that exceeding abundant grace which is far greater than anything that he ever did or committed. It was God who intervened in Paul's destructive ways by his grace. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at verse 10. Paul says this, For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now notice what Paul says. He says, I am what I am, not I am what I was. By the grace of God. And, we, and by Paul making this statement, he recognized that everything that he ever did, everything that he became was a product of God's grace and not by his own efforts or by his own abilities. He understood that it was only by God's grace that he became the man that he became. It was God's grace that qualified him and transformed Paul to become who he was, which was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and a messenger of the gospel. So he was no longer what he used to be. And that was made possible by the wonderful, amazing grace of God. And as I said before, every one of us are all product of God's grace. And everyone should be a living witness to the grace of God. When people see us, they see the change the transformation that took place in our lives. They may not understand it. They may not figure it out. But they do see it and recognize that something is different in your life. And that's because of the transforming grace of God. Oh my goodness, I'm running out of time here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10 once again. Many of us have used the term by God's grace. How many have ever used that term before? By God's grace, I'll see you next Sunday. By God's grace, I was able to get through a very difficult day. By God's grace, I endured my boss's attitude without slapping him. (laughs) We've all used that term at one point or another. Now, there are two aspects to grace in the New Testament that expresses a related and and complementary meaning. The first is God's unmerited favor to us through through Christ, where we were saved and received all the wonderful blessings that are freely given to us by this grace. The other aspect of grace is God's divine assistant to us, which is through the Holy Spirit, who is also considered God's unmerited favor to us. So when we use the term, by God's grace, what we're really referring to is by God's divine assistance, that I'm able to do this, or that I'm able to overcome that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. We're talking about that transforming power of, of grace. And he says, and by his grace toward me was not in vain. It was productive. It was not a wasted sacrifice. 
But he said, but I labored more abundantly than they, yet not I, but by the grace or by the divine assistance which was with me. In the the New Living Translation, that last part of that verse, it reads like this. For I have worked harder than any of the apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. When you go through a tough time and you realize, man, this is tough. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get through it. I don't know if I can overcome it. But there's a divine assistance that helps us to get through those days. That help us to overcome those difficulties. That divine assistance is by the grace of God. That's part of the grace that helps us in our time of need. Sometimes we're going to need that divine assistance to help us to get over the hump. And so, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but at the same time, I need to hurry up. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse 12. It was God's grace that not only transformed Paul's life, but it empowered him and divinely assisted him to carry out the things that he had carried out and to uh, accomplish the things that he had accomplished throughout his ministry. Look at 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The word enable means to empower or to put power in me. If you were to read this verse again, it would read this way. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has put power in me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You cannot live a successful and effective Christian life or ministry without the divine assistance to help us to accomplish God's will. Paul recognized that everything he's accomplished was not by him. But he knew he had help, and it was by the grace of God. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says, For this I labor unto weariness, striving with all the superhuman energy, which he so mightily enkindles or sets on fire, and so powerfully works within me. We're talking about the divine assistance. Many of us have purchased toys for our children or grandchildren over the years, especially through the holidays. Many of the toys that we purchase for them are toys that require batteries. But a lot of them don't come with batteries. We all know that. Because on the box it indicates batteries not included. So when we bring, purchase these toys and we give it to our children or grandchildren, the toy is accessible, but it's not without power. So what good is a toy without a battery? A toy that needs a battery. It's a toy that lacks power. Grace is different. Because grace comes with everything included. Are you hearing me this morning? God says that everything he's ever going to do, he's already done. And grace is all sufficient. Grace saves. Grace empowers. Grace transforms. Grace helps because grace is all-inclusive. Hallelujah. Look at first, Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Look at verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us what? Everything we need for living a godly life. Look at the verse where it says, has given, which implies, which is uh, past tense, 
which implies that God had already done it. And what did he do? He gave us everything that we need for living a godly life. Hallelujah. God's enabling, empowering grace can turn you and I into a super, a spiritual superman and a spiritual superwoman. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I am a spiritual superman or a spiritual superwoman. Go ahead. Now turn to that same neighbor and ask him, what happened to you? <laughs> Paul knew that, the, that only by the power of God, only by the enabling power of his grace, that he was able to become the man that he became. It was only by God's grace that we are who we are and not what we used to be. And some of us would cringe if we would share our stories about who we used to be. So I, I would rather you not say anything to me. <laughs> I don't want to be shocked. But notice what Paul says here. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7. You don't need to turn there, but Paul says this. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. In other words, Paul says... God had given him the privilege by serving, to serve God and to, to spread the gospel, but it was by the power and grace of God. Notice how God equates grace with power. It's almost synonymous because it transforms and it empowers. God has also given us the same privilege to serve him and to spread the good news by that same power and grace. Glory to God. Now, with the time I have remaining, let's talk about the abundance of his amazing grace. Go to James chapter 4 and look at verse 6. God provides grace in abundance. And there's more of this grace available to us every day of our lives. Just that first part of that verse, it says, but he gives more grace. And we can stop right there. More grace means more grace, and it's given to us in abundance for every need and for everyday living. Understand that God is not cheap when it comes to God's grace. And, he all, and, and grace, God's grace always responds to our needs. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Paul says that God is able to make all grace in every form and in every way, provide us with this grace that about and increase in our lives. If you need strength, if you need wisdom, if you need power, if you need ability, if you need guidance, if you need direction, if you need supernatural energy, it's available to us in every form and in every way in abundance. God provides us with all grace in all things and at all times and having all that you need for every good work. Grace comes with everything included. Look at for, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. I mentioned to you in the beginning that grace is the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness. 
Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says this, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his grace. Then if you turn over to the next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 7, he says that in the ages to come we might show exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Now a good example of God's inexhaustible supply is found in Exodus chapter 16, verses 16 through 21. And again, you don't need to turn there. But this is a story where God provided manna from heaven to God's people. They were starving, they were complaining, and they thought that God led them out to the wilderness to starve to death. So God provided them with manna. Now, three times in the text, God says to take as much as you need. Okay. Because there was ample supply of, of manna for everyone. <clears throat> there was always manna available. And so there was no, no one could ever starve because there was so much manna available that they were able to take as much as they need on a day-to-day basis. Every day there was manna. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that there were some who collected or, or received many manna, much manna, others received very little manna. Again, the instruction was take as much as you need. Some took much, some took little. But the ones that took much, they didn't have anything left over. The ones who took little had much left over. But when they gathered all together and measured it up at the end, everyone had enough manna. They were even instructed not to save any manna for for the next day. Do you remember that? But of course, some of them did. And when they got up the mor- in the morning to look at the manna that they stored, it was infested with maggots and they couldn't eat it. And I believe the reason why they did that is because they didn't believe that there would be manna for the next day. God's grace is always available. There's ample supply of God's grace for every day. And God always provides fresh and new manner each day. You don't need to store grace because there's grace for tomorrow. There's ample supply and no one will ever go hungry because the Bible says that we can take as much as we need. So as much as you need, as much grace you need, it's available to you. And we've been instructed to take as much as we need for that day and for every circumstances. Are you hearing me this morning? Look at John 1 and verse 16 as I get ready to close. John 1, 16. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14, it says that this Word, which was in the beginning with God and was God, became flesh. Then in verse 16, and it also says this, And this Word that became flesh came into this world full of grace and truth. Now look in verse 16. And of his fullness or abundance of what? Of his grace and truth. He says, we have all received. And grace for grace. Now it's that last part that I really want you to focus on. Think about a stack of pancakes. There are some people that like a stack of pancakes maybe like this, you know. And of course, when you think about a stack of pancakes, you think, you think about one pancake on top of the other pancake on top of the other pancake. There are others who love 
six stacks of pancakes. So you have six stacks, one laid upon the other. Grace is like a stack of pancakes, only it's unlimited. So picture a stack of pancakes that just go on and on beyond this ceiling, beyond the roof, beyond the sky, beyond the clouds. It's just never ending. One stack of grace after another, after another. That's what this verse means, and grace for grace. Let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. For out of His fullness we have all received, or all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another. And spiritual blessings upon spiritual blessings. And even favor upon favor and gift heaped up on gift. The message translation says it like this. And we all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. Grace after grace after grace. We're talking about the exceeding riches of God's grace that has been poured out upon us and have ample supply for each day and for every circumstances in our lives. Let me close with this story. There was a man who was saving to go on this cruise. And when he finally had enough to purchase the ticket to go on the cruise, he was excited. However, because he spent all that he had on the ticket, he didn't have enough money to buy anything else in the cruise. So he packed himself some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So he was excited and looking forward to this cruise, even though it meant eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day throughout the whole trip, which was a week long. Peanut butter and jelly for breakfast, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner. Now, at first he was good with it. He was fine with it. But when he started seeing all of these people eating some good food like chicken and, and, and uh, beef and turkey and veal and calamaris and cachupa and arroz con pollo and all this wonderful food, he began to think to himself, Lord have mercy. Here I am eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and all of these people eating better than me. So he ran into one of the waiters who was carrying this big plate of food. And he stopped them and says, hey, uh, sir, he says, "Um, what is it going to take to buy a little bit of this food? And the waiter, you know, looks at him like, you know, what what are you talking about? So he began to explain to the waiter, listen, I, I spent all of my money on the ticket but I didn't have enough money to buy the meals that are on the cruise. And so the waiter said, dude, uh, I don't know if he said dude, but, <laughs> but the man on the cruise says, <laughs> in disbelief, he says to the man, the meals are included in the purchase ticket or in the price of the ticket. Now, there are a lot of Christians who have been eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And they're wondering, why are not they enjoying the wonderful mega meals? They look around at other Christians and they see how victorious they are. They see how, how, um, how blessed they are. 
They see how they're gorging on themselves on spiritual steak and potatoes, and they're wondering why they're limited to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. What the men on the cruise did not understand is what so, too, so many Christians don't understand today, and that's the principle of grace. When Jesus was ascended up to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, all the meals were included in that ticket. There's grace in that ticket. There's strength in that ticket. There's healing in that ticket. There's ability to overcome in that ticket. So if you're one of the ones who are gorging themselves on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, let me just say this. Leave the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches alone and take advantage of the wonderful provisions of God, which is a ticket called grace, which is all-inclusive, and take possession of it because it's for us on a daily basis. It's a gift that God has given to us every day. And there's ample supply of it. And you'll never exhaust the supply of God's grace. Take as much as you need. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the wonderful blessing of your grace. Thank you, Father God, that we can take this word and take this understanding of your grace. And live each day under the umbrella of your kindness and goodness. Thank you, Father God, for all that is said and done here today. Thank you for, for the wonderful blessing that you bestowed upon us. Thank you, Father God, that every day we can rely on that grace to help us to get through life, to help us to, help us to become all that you want us to be and to live a victorious life and to be on top of the things, Lord God, that come against us. Thank you, Lord, for that empowering, transforming, helping, and saving grace. And, Lord, for this we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Before we let you go, I know that it's already time, but I still don't want to let you go without first giving you an opportunity to receive and enjoy this wonderful grace. If you never received Christ...